Hi, welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I am the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I do invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. You can read there anytime. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do invite you to look for the link for my other podcast called the Quipster Film Review Podcast, where I cover brand new movies out in theaters and on VOD. Check that out. The Quipster Film Review Podcast at Quipster.net. Today I'm going to be looking at the first of another three-part series. Last week we looked at Near Dark. I'm going to shift that ever so slightly for another film that came out that same year of 1987. A much more successful film for that year than Near Dark. It is called The Lost Boys. And that's going to kick off my three-part series looking at teenage vampire movies of the 1980s. I'm sure you can get ahead of me on that, though there are more than three, really, to choose from. The interesting thing about The Lost Boys, it is an R-rated film. It does have violence, gore, sensuality, and language. The runtime is an hour and 37 minutes. Jason Patrick, Corey Haim, Kiefer Sutherland, Diane Wiest, Jamie Gertz, Bernard Hughes, Corey Feldman, Edward Herman, and many more are in this film, including Alex Winter, who would go on to appear in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Joel Schumacher is the director. The screenplay credited to Jeffrey Bohm, Janice Fisher, and James Jeremias. Now, I should mention before I start, The Lost Boys is a film I've probably seen, oh, probably six or seven times. And in all of those times, I was never quite a fan of it. But I haven't seen it in a while, and given that I've been watching a lot of 80s movies, obviously, lately. Will this film win me over in the end? Well, I guess you'll have to listen to the upcoming review to find out. Now, in this film, the main plot involves a woman played by Diane Weiss named Lucy Emerson. She's a divorced mother of two teenage sons. Jason Patrick plays Michael, and Corey Haim plays his younger brother, Sam. They end up relocating to this strange oceanside California town called Santa Carla, which is filled with this mix of punk and hippie cultures. The residents of Santa Carla have taken to calling it the murder capital of the world. There are deaths and disappearances occurring on an increasingly frequent basis. Kiefer Sutherland plays David, who happens to be this leader of a local motorcycle gang that has been terrorizing the community. And one of the members, this sexy female named Star, played by Jamie Gertz, has taken a mutual liking to Michael, the new guy. Michael wants to get closer to Star, but that proves to be a risk. David ends up making him a member of the gang through this blood ritual that ends up turning Michael into this half-vampire. He's not a full vampire until he makes his first kill. And with Star's help, along with Brother Sam and a couple of comic book geeks with vampire knowledge and these Rambo-esque personalities named Edgar and Alan, obviously that's a shout-out to Edgar Allan Poe, those two guys are called the Frog Brothers, played by Corey Feldman and Jameson Newlander. They get together, they team up with Michael to try to find a way to reverse the curse. Now, the origin of the Lost Boys toward filmdom, it started back in early 1985. That's where this screenplay was written by first-time screenwriters Janice Fisher and James Jeremias. It ended up getting scooped up for the whopping total, at least for its time, of $400,000. And that script soon got taken to market by its independent purchasers, and it garnered the interest of Warner Brothers, who ended up securing the North American and some of the international distribution rights. Now, the first person in line to be the director of The Lost Boys was going to be Richard Franklin. I've talked about him just recently in a film called Road Games. I've also talked about him in Cloak and Dagger. He did Hitchcockian efforts, including those films and Psycho 2. 
But all of that changed. Richard Donner ended up coming on board as an executive producer when Warner Brothers got into the distribution rights, and he ended up slotting himself as the potential director instead for The Lost Boys. Now, at that time, the age of the main characters in that original script were young boys. They ranged anywhere from the age of 8 through 11 years old. Richard Donner took over this because he felt he could do with this film what he did for his popular hit from 1985, The Goonies. However, the production schedule started to slow down and Donner ended up looking at other scripts and he became much more interested in shooting the script, Shane Black's script, for Lethal Weapon instead and just stayed on board on the production side of things. He initially looked at Mary Lambert to direct the film. She was a music video director of some note, including a lot of Madonna songs, but they ended up having creative differences. And so he ended up, in the end, turning over the reins to Joel Schumacher, Joel Schumacher, a self-described longtime vampire film fan. He just happened to have directed St. Elmo's Fire for Richard Donner's wife, Lauren Schuler Donner. And that was the connection that got him on board. Now, one of the first things that Schumacher wanted to do as director was to escalate the ages of the characters to being in high school because he wanted to give these vampires a sexier edge that he thought would make for a much more captivating film for today's audiences, including the turning of the character of Star, the female character played by Jamie Kurtz, from a young boy into the sexy older teen. And that raised the stakes for this tug of war for the heart of the main vixen. And he brought in another screenwriter named Jeffrey Bohm to rewrite the entire script to make it racier and edgier than just this Goonies meets Dracula original script that had been pitched. You know, that script was intended to be a G or PG rated family film, but now it was going to escalate into much more late teens into early adult fare. And in this way, Schumacher created a film that would be instantly familiar, not only to the teens of the 1980s who would go out and see this, but with elements of teen films from the 50s and 60s and 70s that would also connect with older generations without completely pandering to them. And it would be edgy enough to appeal to the adults in the crowd. Now, although it has its following, especially from those who enjoy the TV shows that borrow from the style of mixing humor and camp and horror, you know, Puffy the Vampire Slayer takes a lot of inspiration from The Lost Boys. The Lost Boys, of course, the title is a Peter Pan illusion. The flying children, they never grow old. That's all part of that Peter Pan myth that was much more prevalent in that original script before it got revised. It's an interesting, but it's a fairly silly vampire flick. It really can't be taken all that seriously, even during the moments where it kind of tries to be. But all in all, perhaps it's fun for those who regularly feed on teen click films and not-too-serious horror and it may be a little bit too goofy and contrived to please viewers who might be expecting more than easy baser pleasures. Now, for genre lovers, I would say it is still a delight. Those looking for more than occasional jocularity and eye candy presentation may find the story doesn't quite hold together to the very end, especially when it descends into either gory or slapstick antics that aren't quite as satisfying to observe as the buildup, but... I'd say the best thing about The Lost Boys are all of those bells and whistles. It sports a very solid soundtrack. You have sumptuous location shots. All of these exteriors were filmed in Santa Cruz, especially in and around the famous boardwalk there. And the more rural areas that are dense with natural fog, you have wide open and constantly moving cinematography from one-time Martin Scorsese favorite cinematographer Michael Chapman. And this very effective score by veteran 
Thomas Newman. The city council of Santa Cruz, they allowed the filmmakers to shoot out there on the streets and they take full advantage of it. But the only condition that they met late into the production is that they did not want them to use the name of Santa Cruz because this film crowned the city several times in its story as the so-called murder capital of the world. And they felt that that would hurt its reputation and tourism industry, especially since there were some serial killings, some famous ones that happened there not long before. Now, a colorful cast does flesh out these thin characterizations. You have memorable bits for Kiefer Sutherland, the Corys, or the two Corys, if you prefer, Haim and Feldman. Bernard Hughes, who plays the grandfather in this film, is a delight, although they had originally looked at other actors, Keenan Wynn and John Carradine, for the old man role, but they were a little too ill and frail at the time to come back to films. Uh, many in the cast were relative unknowns prior to The Lost Boys, with the exception of Corey Feldman, who gave the movie and his part, in particular the Goonies cred that they were originally going for before they aged the characters forward. And this was the first, very first, of many collaborations between the two Corys. They would go on to star or appear in seven films together over the following ten years. And then they would occasionally work together after that from time to time for TV projects, including a TV show called The Two Corys that capitalized on their popular pairing. Now, for the look of the film, Joel Schumacher and his production team concentrated on costumes and sets and props that would evoke this history throughout the decades because the vampires presumably live forever. So they should carry along with them those things that speak to them during the totality of their existence as immortals. And that does lend well to the film. It's not only a product of its MTV generation and its execution, but it seems somewhat without a clear distinction in time with its actual design, especially as it pays homage to a lot of older vampire films and older teen films. Now, at its core, The Lost Boys is a rite of passage story about the allure of so-called bad boys, but ultimately the danger of becoming one yourself, especially when you succumb to the rampant peer pressure of high school popularity. You have icons from James Dean to Jim Morrison. They are paid homage to in this film. The latter, Jim Morrison, with the recurrent use of The Doors, People Are Strange, which is done on the soundtrack in a now classic cover by Echo and the Bunnymen, and there's this poster prominently displayed in the Vampire's Lair that shows us how much Jim Morrison and Jason Patrick actually do look alike. And and if you think about it, both Jim Morrison and James Dean, in both cases, they were the victims of a live-fast-die-young attitude that saw them burn out before their time. Of course, the real allure to the gang of vampires is that you can live fast and die young. Well, actually, you won't die. You won't ever die. But you will continue to be so-called bad boys for life. But that continued rebellious life comes at a cost of losing one's connection to family and of harming innocence, which for anyone with a conscience makes it not an ideal proposition in the end. Now, toward the end of The Lost Boys, you realize that the vampire gambit is to make an even bigger family, but to do so would mean having to bring aboard more predators of the innocent so that they could all be together in the era of AIDS and the AIDS scare in the 80s at an all-time high. The notion of losing one's family values to do something that ends up tainting the blood with infection is in the subconscious of a lot of films. You know, this film ends up returning the story back to the family values, the good old family values of the Reagan-Bush years and the final years of the 1980s. Now, with its music video-style editing and its attractive actors, a lot of heartthrobs here, a solid soundtrack, 
a moderately positive critical buzz that it had at the time, the film would end up going on to be a decent hit at the box office. It debuted at number two at the box office in its first weekend of release. It was just behind the debut, a big high-profile debut of a brand-new James Bond in Timothy Dalton for his first film in the Bond series called The Living Daylights. It made over $32 million at the theater on an $8.5 million budget, so it was a hit. And it would prove to get even more popular over time with the release of other popular vampire properties that made audiences go back and check it out, and that resulted in it becoming a classic of its genre and for its era of the 1980s. Perhaps the biggest thing that may have hampered its becoming a runaway smash in its initial release was the R rating, especially for a film that feels so much like a movie that was meant to be aimed at the teenage set, and teenagers really do respond to it. It's curious because it is almost a PG-13 rating with just a little bit too much gore, I would say, to get it down there. I think just a few seconds of editing and you could have a PG-13 rating, so it's interesting. They probably wouldn't do that kind of thing today with this kind of film. Now, The Lost Boys through and through. It's a popcorn flick, very Spielbergian in a lot of ways, easily digested, but still you know, it's far from a real meal. It's a fun film. If you just want 90 plus minutes of watchable vampire fodder, I think it's certainly going to fit the bill. It also will be of appeal to those who enjoy, of course, the 1980s. If you're listening to me right now, obviously that means you, especially the teen films made in that era. By today's standards, The Lost Boys is a little bit dated, I think, to its times, but that's also become a real big part of the charm. It's kind of like the Goonies meets Rebel Without a Cause, but with vampires. And that last gimmick alone makes it somehow appealing enough for horror fans. At last, while it's certainly slickly produced, it's a little shallow, it's a little empty at its core to recommend to just anyone who isn't an avowed genre fan or a fan of the 1980s. So, I mean, Near Dark, that was released the same year, and I covered it in my previous episode. It took the teen romance vampire film, I think, into a much more interesting direction, even if it is less slick and broadly appealing. So I would recommend watching Near Dark as a companion piece to The Lost Boys because you really cover a lot of ground with these two different vampire films, both of them very appealing in different ways. Near Dark, a little bit heavier and a little bit gorier. The Lost Boys is a little bit more broadly appealing, so you can kind of take your pick there. But I do think that both are actually worth checking out. So I have come around on this film. I actually did enjoy revisiting The Lost Boys. And this is the first time I've actually come away thinking, you know, I can see why a lot of people really love this film. So for all of that, I'm going to give The Lost Boys three stars out of four. Three stars on my scale means that I do recommend it for people who like this kind of movie. If you're a big vampire film fan, you've probably seen this multiple times. If you haven't seen it already, I definitely would recommend you giving it a shot if you enjoy breezy films. Of the 1980s, even R-rated ones like this one, I definitely think this is worth checking out as well. Obviously, if you're listening to me right now, you have to love the 1980s, so it must be on your list at some point or another. Now, Joe Schumacher, by the way, had proposed a sequel in the early 1990s. It would have been called The Lost Girls. It would have had sexy female biker vampires, (laughs) and that actually would never get much farther than a couple of script treatments, but nobody was really interested in, for whatever reason, following it up. It did get followed up eventually, though, by a poorly regarded direct-to-DVD sequel called The Lost Boys, The Tribe, that emerged in 2008. It did have Corey Feldman and Corey Haim, the two Corys, as part of that cast. And there was a follow-up called The Lost Boys, The Thirst, in 2010. That only had Feldman, but it did bring back fellow frog brother Jameson Newlander as part of that story. I don't recommend those films 
I'm definitely not going to cover those as my sequels, especially since they exist so far out of the 1980s. But three stars out of four is what I will give The Lost Boys. Maybe I'll even kick it up even more because I seem to like it more and more as I watch it over the years. It does age well. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review. As far as what I'm going to be covering next week in the teen vampire films of the 1980s, a little bit more seductive vampire film called Fright Night, another classic from 1985, just a couple of years before. And that is a film that I have liked over the years. Chris Sarandon is great in it. Roddy McDowell, oh, wow. It's just a lot of fun. I do recommend checking that out. If you've watched Near Dark and The Lost Boys, you've got to watch Fright Night. And that will be our review on the very next episode. Thanks, everyone, again, for listening and joining me on this trip around the world in 80s movies. (laughs) 